What's going on, you guys? And welcome back to another installment of the Push the Tempo podcast. I'm your boy, Ari, and I'm with my guy, Kyle. And you guys already know what's been going on with the NBA, man. We got some huge news, especially with Kawhi getting hurt. You know, obviously, Chris Paul with that COVID situation. And then this giant and awesome series between the Nets and the Bucks. So what do you want to start off with today, Kyle? Uh, let's start. Let's start with the the Brooklyn Nets and Milwaukee Bucks game five. Uh, so it came out right before the game that James Harden was going to play. That he was looking. He was just going to give it a go and shoot around, see how he was feeling. And when you watch the game, you could tell that he's not a hundred percent currently. That the hamstring is still bothering him very much, and he was being used more as like a decoy out there um, than like a than like a guy who could run an offense. And it shows just like in his numbers that he was really inefficient, but you know, you can't really hold that against him. He hasn't played in a long time and he just does, he's just not in rhythm and you can tell he's clearly not right. So, but in this game, the two biggest, um, the two biggest factors to me were obviously Kevin Durant, 49, 17 and 10, uh, not just one of the best playoff games we've seen like this year, but this is one of the best playoff games of all time. Uh, Nobody could defend him. He had everyone on the Nets, on the Bucks. I'm sorry. He had everyone on the Bucks just shaking their heads. They they couldn't do anything against him, and really only him and Jeff Green showed up for the Nets today. Uh, and then the other the other side of it was the Bucks. Uh, the second half offense from the Bucks is some of the worst that I've I've seen. There's just questionable decision after questionable decision when you look into it, but. Um, I'll save that and I'll let you go with what do you think what do you think about this game? No, honestly, I completely agree with you. Um coming into this game, I was like, you know what? They kind of had to force Harden in because the situation that they were in. Especially if the, if they lost this game, the series would have been definitely difficult and really not on their side. So seeing Harden in, I was pretty excited to see him go. But you could, like you said before, you couldn't really you could tell that he wasn't right. And I guess they kind of did use him as a distraction because only two guys on that team really showed up, as you mentioned. But to me, to be honest, this series, or at least this last game, showed to me that, you know, really, in my opinion at least, that the Bucks really aren't all of that. I mean, this is probably the first game in the playoffs, or in this series at least, that Giannis actually had, like, a really good game in terms of, like, not really stalling the offense too much. You know, like, some of the previous games, he was just shooting – and really stalling the offense. And this is something that I heavily criticize him for. And that's just, you know, like we all know he's not a three-point shooter. So when he just stops the offense to take a three, even if it's wide open, I feel like that really kills the offensive flow. So in this game, Giannis didn't really do too much of that. And yeah, like you said, they did make a lot of like weird offensive plays and things like that. But I really think that's on the coach. But to be honest, this game on the terms of the book side was just really good. And this kind of just goes to show how great KD is and how great that Nets team actually is. You know what I mean? See, when I, when I think of this game, I obviously, obviously what Durant did is insane. Uh, there that's probably the single best playoff performance of the playoffs so far. Uh, and it's obviously, like I said, one of the best of all time, but I kind of at the same time feel like this is just a massive choke job by the Bucks. The Bucks had the lead going into half. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the score was at halftime. Uh, the score was 59 to 43 for the net uh, for in favor of the Bucks. And the Bucks just 
had to not mess up this game. And they would have won. And they would have taken a 3-2 series lead. And in the fourth quarter, they got outscored by 12. Uh, the entire fourth quarter, they one of the reasons that I was I was um, optimistic about Milwaukee this year is uh, I remember if we remember that I said that Milwaukee would be the best team in the East this year. And they could have just as easily rolled out what made them successful the last two years in, in the regular season is they just have Giannis attacking the paint. Uh, they just shoot like a bunch of threes and give up a bunch of threes. But they made a concerted effort to play differently in the regular season. They switched more on defense. Um, they use Giannis more as a screener and a roller. And when their back was against the wall in this game, they reverted right back to what got them bounced two years in a row from the playoffs. They went again to the Giannis just dribbling the ball, barreling into people from the top of the key. They rarely used him as a screener and a roller. For some odd reason, uh, James Harden played more than any um, than any Milwaukee Buck today, and he's on one leg, basically. That that makes no sense to me. And, they, and another thing, they did not attack James Harden enough on defense. James Harden could barely move laterally because of he's on one leg, and they did not attack him nearly enough. Giannis had him in the post. Uh, Harden, he called off. Like, he uh, he signaled off that don't help, and Giannis took a fadeaway jumper over Harden. It's like, dude, like, your shot selection has to be better. I, I know I'm sorry I'm rambling, but this was just a game that if I was a Bucks fan, I'd want to put my head through a wall. It was very embarrassing. No, I agree with you completely. Like you said before, you know, when you're the best player on your team and then you're going to opt to take a fadeaway shot from that side of the court and in that situation, I just don't see that, you know, this team can make it really that far with that type of play. They've been really heavily reliant on Chris Middleton making plays down the stretch. And when he's not performing, although he had a pretty good game or a decent game in his standards, you know, it's it's just so much that they can do, you know what I mean? And like you mentioned before, you know, their offense was just so – it was just so crusty. I'm going to lie, man. And it was just tough to watch, you know. It was literally the same thing over and over again. And it's, it's become pretty predictable. I mean, the Nets by, no, by like, no chance are, like, the best defensive team at all, you know what I mean? But this is, like, two or three times a series where they've been held, holding them to such low points per game and kind of just trapping on this. I mean, Blake Griffin is doing pretty well, which is kind of – uh, to me, it's kind of questionable. Like, I don't, I don't even know how Blake Griffin can kind of guard Giannis. But like, I mean, it's, I guess it's because it's becoming way too predictable. You know what I mean? It just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. The Bucks are a talented team. Giannis, sure, he has some limitations in his game, but he's still a very great. He's a really good player. The but the Bucks, they just, their just their process on offense doesn't make any sense. They make things way harder for themselves than they have to be. They, for some reason, don't opt to use Giannis as a screener and a roller when he's one of the most dynamic athletes in the league at his size. Uh, he takes a lot of questionable shots. Like I mentioned, there was the, uh, there was the, uh, the the fadeaway jump shot over Chris Middleton over James Harden. I'm sorry, but like, um, and he didn't do it in this game. But for some reason, he loves pulling up in transition for three pointers. Doesn't make any sense to me. And I still remember on our first our first episode, we talked about Giannis. And one of the things I said that I don't really want him shooting a lot of jump shots anymore. Like it's cool that he takes them. I'm not really uh I'm not really opposed to him taking some, but what I really want him to get better at is I want him to become a better 
post player, you know, learn, put like a reliable post move or two into his arsenal and for him to become a better free throw shooter. He's been awful in the, from the free throw line. He missed two huge free throws at the end of this game as well. So, man, they like Giannis has a lot of work to do as a player. Obviously, he's clearly not the player he can be. And he's only 26. He'll still get better, you know. But the Bucks, they, they need to figure something out, man. Like, this was a really, really bad loss. It's really demoralizing. And just the lack of adjustments, just a really – I don't know, man. I'm, I'm at, like I was at a loss for words. I'm not even a Bucks fan, and I was embarrassed watching that second half from the Bucks. Yeah, 100. percent And honestly, it's like this is the best team that Giannis has ever played for. You know what I mean? So like to see him perform even worse, or not worse, but like not up to the standards that he should be held at with the contract that he's gonna get and the contract that he has, and the MVPs and all the accolades that he has. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's, honestly, it's it, like you said before, it's pretty embarrassing. Um, I've been really critici- criticizing of Giannis in general, but I mean, at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do when you're, as James Harden likes to put it, you know, just a seven foot guy running around and dunking, you know what I mean? But to be honest, I think that he just has to develop a little bit more um, when it becomes, when it comes to down to the end of the game, you know what I mean? It just it just become predictable. I mean, he really sells out his team. I remember in a Miami Heat game, the first game that they played, uh, when it went to overtime. I don't think he he had like maybe two points off an alley oop or something like that. And other than that, he didn't really do anything. He didn't rebound. He didn't defend. I mean, he's not even defending KD, which is something that they brought up. Um, hopefully, he's gonna be guarding KD, and maybe that'll help the out the Bucks or not. But I mean. Honestly, like, I feel like he becomes irrelevant down the stretch, and that's when they really need their best player, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, I think that's enough on the Bucks and the, the Nets. What do you think? Yeah, I, I just have one last thing to say. They, I don't, I don't understand why they continue to try to use Giannis as a ball handler. Like, you don't have to go away from it completely because it's successful and it's proven to work in the regular season, but it doesn't work in the playoffs. Like, teams have built a wall against Giannis, and – it's just not the most efficient shot when you could have him rolling to the rim and attacking that way rather than him just barreling to the paint. Like, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm done. That's really all I had to say. Just no, 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 I, I, I totally agree with you. Like, um, it really throws off the rhythm of the, the team, too, because if you think about it, you know, Drew Holiday is supposed to be the point guard, you know what I mean? But he doesn't really do anything except for stand around the side here and there, do backdoor cuts. You know what I mean? It kind of really just throws off the entire team. So, for example, like if Giannis just cuts, even if he's not the ball handler, it'll create some type of miscommunication or something like that, where you get like an open player wide open, like whether it's Bryn Forbes or I don't know, Connaughton, whoever it is, it's going to cause some distraction. So I feel like that's a lot more effective than, like you said before, just having barreling into the paint. Yeah, they got they got some stuff to figure out. Maybe they can make it a series, but man, that that loss was just so deflating that it might it might be over in in, in six. All right. All right Honestly, so yeah, before we go on, you know, one question for you. All right, hypothetically, the Bucks lose in six. You think they're gonna do something with their team, or at least fire their coach or something like that? Well, I, I think I think Budenholzer is gone if that happens. Hell, even if they win the series, I think he might be gone. But what what can they do? You know, they're locked into Middleton. Uh, any trade that they could possibly make to get somebody in his place, they probably lose value. At this point, he's probably more 
uh, valuable to the Bucks than he would be to anyone else. You're not going to trade Giannis. Uh, you probably won't trade Drew. You probably won't trade Drew Holiday. I doubt they do that. Similarly, like he's probably more important to the Bucks than he is to anyone else. Maybe, but like, what what moves can they make? You know, like this is their core. They just they're just gonna have to keep improving like around the margins if they. But they have the talent, man. They do. They maybe like a better shot creator would be nice, but they're kind of locked into what they have. But. Like they, they have the talent. They just have to it just has to be utilized properly. That's that's just my biggest problem with them. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I mean, like you said before, they got talent. They got so many low key guys. You know, PG Tucker has been putting on great defensive performance. I mean, yeah, forty nine points on No, he was but... he was great in game five. He got lit not uh, great for game four, I'm sorry. He got lit up in game five by yeah. Durant. Well, everybody definitely, definitely. did, but Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, other than that, you know, you've got Brent Forbes and guys like that. But, yeah, you want to hop into the next one? The next All right, part? sure. So, do you want to talk about Kawhi first and then the Utah game? Or do you want to talk about – do you want to do the, the opposite? Um, I'm cool with that. Let's go for it. So, um, in game four, toward, I believe with, like, five minutes left, four or five minutes left, Kawhi was driving. He was um, running in transition, and he made contact with Joe Ingles. Uh, he came up from that – uh, from the contact, holding his knee. Um, the, at that point, I believe it was like a 15-point game. The Clippers were leading, and he sat, he subbed himself out. It got a little dicey, but the Clippers were able to pull it out. I believe they won by by 14 to close out the game. Uh, and Kawhi was asked about it after the game. He was like, uh, the reporter who was interviewing him in the post game, she she asked, she was like, "Is your knee okay?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm good." Um, and he wasn't on the injury report for Game Five, the Clippers injury report. And then it came out, I believe, yesterday that he suffered a knee injury um, and that he was doubtful for game five and possibly the series. And then Shams tweeted that there's fear that he could have suffered an ACL injury, which is really scary. Um, And obviously, it sucks. The Clippers' chances without him get drastically lowered. They could possibly make it out of the series, but them beating the Suns without uh, without Kawhi. Obviously, Chris Paul is out, but he possib- he'll probably make it back for the Western Conference Finals because he's just in quarantine and he's not, like, injured, injured. Um, so them beating the Suns is a stretch if they beat Utah. But you just got to feel for Kawhi, man. Uh, he was one of the two best players in the playoffs this year, him and Durant, 1A, 1B. You could put either one first and you wouldn't be wrong. Uh Kawhi's just he, you know, you want to hear something crazy? Kawhi's shooting 65% from the field as a forward in the playoffs. That's that's unheard of, dude. That's like that's like a center's numbers in terms of efficiency. So you just got a feel for him. Uh the Clippers pulled out a win yesterday in Utah, but this is just very tough news. Just as a fan and you know, just as a as a fan of the team and just like in general. No, honestly, it's terrible news. I mean they finally came back from 0-2 deficit, you know, two two series in a row. You know, they're looking good, had a huge win. They need to win the next game in Utah, and then he gets hurt. And honestly, I, I don't want to put anything onto superstitions, but, you know, it's all about that Clippers getting to the West Conference Finals and everything like that. It honestly just sucks because, you know, Clippers fans were hyped. Everyone's hyped to see Kawhi play, you know, like you said before, second or third, maybe even first best player in the playoffs right now in terms of this playoff run. And it just sucks to see him getting hurt, you know what I mean? But 
Damn, man, I, I really don't have much to say. I just hope he's okay. He probably won't come back, to be honest, um, in the entirety of the playoffs. Yeah, at this point, since, like, uh, it's just very murky about, like, the, the status of what his injury is, I'm pretty sure he's done for the rest of the playoffs. At this point, I'm just hoping it's not, like, too severe of, like, an injury. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm praying it's not, like, an ACL tear because if that's the case, dude, he's done next year for probably two, so... Uh, he's probably done for the playoff run. I've kind of come to grips with that, but I'm I'm a, I'm a little concerned. I'm just hoping it's not something too serious that could probably cost him next year too. Yeah, 100%, especially with Kawhi, with the history that he has. You want to play it safe. I mean, it's it's something that the Clippers has never done as an organization, but, you know, you got to treat human lives way better than that, and I think the Clippers are going to be responsible with him. It's probably, you know, it's just unfair to have – a guy risk his career like that. We've seen players do that before, and we've seen their careers get ruined. Uh, just one to one to uh, mention is obviously Isaiah Thomas with that injury that he had with the Celtics, and then now he's not back anymore. So there's always that to be careful of. Um, I hope that they treat him right, and you know they let him recover, and hopefully the Clippers still move on without him. I mean, game game five was it beast game? That game was awesome. So let's just transition right into that. Uh, game five, the Clippers pulled out the, I believe it was a 119 to 111 win in Utah. Uh, winning in Utah, Utah has the best home record in the NBA this season. I believe it was like, uh, they had like a 35 and seven record or something crazy like that at home this year. Um, they're, they're a really good team. And the Clippers winning game seven in Utah, the a game, game five, I'm sorry. Uh, in Utah, the day, the, the day they find out they lose their best player, it's, you got to give them a lot of props for that. And I'm not just saying as the, that as a fan of the team, because, but it's just, it's a really impressive thing. So I'll let you start. What did, what were your thoughts on this game? Man, I was telling you the night before when the game happened that I thought the Clippers were going to lose just because, you know, obviously without Kawhi, they don't really have that offensive punch, especially because sometimes the Clippers offense can get really stagnant and become really ISO heavy, similar to the Celtics. But, um, Honestly, watching that first half, it was so entertaining. It was blow for blow. And every time Utah would get a little bit of a lead where it would be more than five, six points, the Clippers would have a great run to kind of just bounce themselves back. And honestly, it was just really entertaining. I mean, Bogdanovich was going off. He was, I believe, six for seven at one point, maybe seven or seven from three. And then he kind of started to fall off. But it was just insane. Like, everybody was hitting their threes. Um, I remember the announcers were going crazy because, you know, it just felt like, as they mentioned, like an all-star game where it was just that high pace. And then, you know, honestly, it started to slow down. But you could kind of see that, you know, this was going to happen and that was going to be in the Clippers' favor because that's how the Clippers operate, you know what I mean? But to be honest, one person that I'm really happy for is my guy, Paul George, just because of all the hate he's got. To go into Utah, especially when they are chanting overrated the first time he came in, and putting it up and, you know, putting up, what did he put up? 37 points, I believe. 37 points, 16 rebounds, five assists. You know, he was going off. And honestly, big props to him for getting that dub. I mean, a lot of guys really stepped up. I mean, a Terrence Mann dunk was huge on Rudy, the defensive player of the year, which I know I don't believe he should have got that. But, you know, that's a, that's a topic for something else. And then Reggie Jackson hit those clutch shots. But, yeah, honestly, it was a great game. What do you think? Man, so my my opinion on this game, for first and foremost, the most impressive thing to me is the Clippers. Uh, this is one of the best halves, first halves I've seen them play this year. 
and they were losing. They were down at half. And the reason I'm saying that is the Jazz hit 17 threes in the first half. Uh, Bogdanovich hit six threes in the first quarter by himself. And that's more threes than the Clippers hit in the first quarter. And they weathered that 17 three pointer half and they were down five only. So, and that's Utah, that's Utah's game. That's how they play. They just bomb threes. I believe they shot 54 threes in this game to the Clippers, like 40 or something, I believe, something like that. But that, that, that to me is really impressive. Yeah, 40, 43 point attempts. But that to me is really impressive, man, that they were able to weather that. And if this was, and a lot of credit goes to Ty Lu for that, man. Ty Lu kept them grounded and he didn't let them like lose faith after Utah was just hitting insane like levels of three point shooting. Like Jordan Clarkson was hitting some insane shots in that game, man. Like his, I didn't think they did a good job closing out on Bogdanovich well, but outside of like, outside of him, like they did well defending almost everyone else uh, when they were shooting. Jordan Clarkson was just hitting insane shots. Donovan Mitchell hit some shots, even though he struggled overall in this game. But that first half to me was really impressive. Um, to me, another guy that's obviously Paul George, like you mentioned, had one of his better games after that game, game five or game six in Utah a couple years back where he was really, really bad, shot two for 16. He came in tonight and got his revenge, 37, 16, five. On offense, he was playing point guard. And on defense, he was defending Rudy Gobert, basically playing small ball center. So he was doing everything tonight. Um, Marcus Morris, playoff career high, 25 points. But to me, the, uns the unsung hero of, these, of this game were two players, Patrick Beverly and Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson hit, scored 12 points in the fourth quarter, hit some huge shots that killed Utah's momentum. And Pat, even though he didn't really score a lot of points, you know, he hit only two shots, but those two shots, as, as well as his defense, like they, they were just crucial. Pat hit a floater over Rudy Gobert, three-time defensive player of the year. He hit a three, first three he's hit in like three weeks. Um, so I just thought those two guys were played really, really well. And they're, in my opinion, the two most underrated players from this game. Oh, I have to agree with you 100%. Um, yeah, Paul George was taking all the the highlight, you know, all the lights and everything like that. But those two guys were beasts. Um, one thing that I want to kind of piggyback off, one thing that I love that Patrick Beverly is doing is, you know, the energy that he brings to the team is just insane. You could just tell, like, I was surprised that he was sitting out a lot of the Dallas time, uh, that Dallas series. You could tell he came in and he accepted the challenge of guarding Donovan Mitchell. You know, he would harass him. He got like a bunch of steals off him and Jordan Clarkson. Um, and I believe the game before this game four, he got four blocks, which is the highest on both sides of the teams. So that's just insane that he's, you know, he's really putting that effort. So props to him. He's taking on that challenge and he's really making it difficult for the Jazz. I mean, yeah, they're still going to get those shots and everything like that, but he's making it really difficult to get those open shots that they usually get. Do you That's wanna, one thing. My bad, sorry. Do you want to hear the numbers real quick about Pat Beverly's defense on Donovan Mitchell? Yes, please. Let me so, so Patrick Beverly is on the court with Donovan Mitchell so far in this series, 49 minutes. Or let, let me give you the off court first. So when he's off the court, Donovan Mitchell has played 137 minutes. Uh, in those minutes, he is 48 of 96. So 50% from the field, 21 of 47 from three, 44% from three. And he has 19 assists to nine turnovers. Uh, these are his stats when Patrick Beverly is on the court. 
Patrick Beverly is on the court with Donovan Mitchell for 49 minutes so far in this series. Donovan Mitchell is 9 of 32, so 28% from the field, 6 of 18 from 3. Uh, and he has four assists to six turnovers. So that just goes to show you how well Pat has been able to defend Donovan Mitchell this series. He's really making it tough for him. Man, shout out Patrick Beverly. You know, he gets a lot of hate from a lot of players or a lot of people. But that guy, he he got the energy, man. He's he's nice out there, bro. That's that's a defender, man. I'm gonna tell you that. But yo, uh, the other thing I was gonna mention is, you know, the Jazz going off in the very beginning without Mitchell. Honestly, I feel like that kind of hurt Mitchell in the long term because he was never able to get that rhythm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Bogdanovich was going crazy, Clarkson was going crazy, everybody was sitting their shots, even Royce O'Neal. Um, even Rudy Gobert was getting that those touches. Oh, no, he's getting those putback layups and all that. But I feel like Donovan Mitchell not, never getting to the rhythm really hurt the Jazz in the long run. So I think that in the next game, at least, they should try to get Donovan Mitchell going. And I know he can get going at any moment, but I feel like it's crucial to get your best player going in the beginning. You know what I mean? Like, every player is different. For example, Jimmy Butler, one style that he always plays is at the end of the game, he'll turn up. But I feel like Donovan Mitchell is somebody that turns up at the beginning and stays turned up. You know what I mean? So I feel like one thing that the Jazz have to do is just keep him going from the beginning of the game. And that's something that I think the Jazz are going to look forward to. Right, and they're going to look to in the next game. What do you think? Oh, no, definitely. Um, but Donovan Mitchell, like he made, it's not like he made a wrong decision to not shoot in the first half or like really assert himself early. He was just riding the hot hand, which is what you do. Uh they were just bombing threes. Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, uh, Jordan Clarkson were really hitting their shots, and he just went with it, you know, and played in the flow of the offense. So I can't blame him for that. But you're definitely right. It didn't allow him to get into rhythm early, and that's something I think the Jazz in Game 6 will make a much more concerted effort of doing is getting him shots early to get him into that rhythm, which he clearly lacked tonight. Um, well, just one last, uh, one last player who I want to – Shout out tonight is Marcus Morris for the Clippers. Uh, you know, on the before tonight, Marcus Morris was shooting 28.8% from the three-point line in the playoffs on the road. And today, he had his best game of the playoffs as a Clipper. He was really good in game seven, but I thought this one where the Clippers needing that scoring punch from him because of Kawhi being out, I thought this was his best game. 25 points, uh, three of four from three, 10 of 16 from the field. So, uh, shout out to him, man. He played a really, really good game. Terrence, man, everybody's seen him dunk on Gobert. Uh, that was one of the the better plays that he's made. And one of the one of the main reasons the Clippers were able to pull away is uh, they were not only able to withstand Utah's three point barrage, which is their game plan, but they were able to pull Rudy Gobert out of the paint to his discomfort zone. And they were able to make him defend on the perimeter. Reggie Jackson got by him a couple times. Uh, Paul George did his thing versus him. Terrence Mann, like everybody saw the dunk. But they were able to pull Rudy out and make him uncomfortable guarding on the perimeter. And that's what, uh, that was a huge key. And Nick Batum hit a, very, hit a big three late because Rudy Gobert just wasn't close enough to really give him a solid contest. So I think that's something the Clippers are going to continue to do is try to get Rudy as as uncomfortable as possible on defense. And if they can do it in game six, they have a good chance of winning to me. Yeah, 100%. You could just tell, I mean, he did not look like the defensive player of the year out there. 
he was getting exposed. He's literally in the perimeter. But, you know, y'all know I already hate on Rudy, so it sounds a little bit biased, so I'm not going to go there. Um, dude, did you see the recent news just happened right now? Um, Ricara, he's, um, he's not returning next year to the Mavs, which is probably kind of foreseeable, but, you know, it's another coach vacancy this year, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's um, it's very interesting. Carlisle was the coach when they won their only championship. Uh, this mm-hmm. just comes after the news that they parted ways with their general manager as well. Yeah, man, there's really, there's really a lot of stuff going on in Dallas. I really don't know what to make of it right now. Yeah, honestly, it's insane. Like the last few days, the news has been crazy. You know, Stan Van Gunny left, and just this morning they were talking about Zion, or at least his family isn't happy with um how Zion is and on the Pelicans. And you know, it's just a bunch of crazy news. Um, Lamelo just won Rookie of the Year. Um, yeah, it's been crazy news. I just thought of all this right now. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. been it's been a very it's been a very like just yesterday in terms of all the news that was breaking, it was just coming one after another. Like it was very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to touch on anything else before we uh, conclude this episode? Do you wanna Do you want to touch on the Sixers game real quick? Yeah, let's talk about that, man. I'm going to lie, I didn't really watch that game fully. I watched that at the end. I turned on the first quarter, and I saw that NB was just going off. And I thought it was going to be a blowout game, especially after his terrible performance the game before. You know, that's how some NBA players are. You know, they go, they, they suck one game, and then the next game they just go off. If you remember that time that Curry missed all his threes, and then the next game he set, like, a record or something like that, right? So I just thought it was going to be one of those nights where MB drops like 30, 40. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the gym, come back, and you know catch the game. Then all of a sudden, I come back, and I see that the score is so close, and they end up throwing the game. And honestly, man, I didn't watch the full game, so I'll let you talk about this. Man, no, like you were saying, first half was just really dominant from Philadelphia. Joel Embiid was getting whatever he wanted. Uh, in the first half, he was just really putting Clint Capella in the torture chamber, and they didn't have an answer for him. And the second half, man, the flip, the script just completely flipped. The Sixers, I believe in game four, they blew like an 18-point lead, and this game they blew a 26-point lead. Um, it makes – it's mind-boggling to me that the 76ers lost a game where Trey Young and Lou Williams – both played majority of the fourth quarter. Trey Young played almost nine minutes in the fourth. Lou Williams played basically 12 minutes. He played 11 minutes and 41 seconds of game time. So he played virtually the entire fourth quarter. And the Sixers were somehow not able to score. In the second half, Seth Curry and Joel Embiid were the only two players to make a field goal for the 76ers. Tobias Harris gets paid $180 million on his contract. He scores four points in this game. And and do we want to talk? Do we want to talk about Ben Simmons real quick? Do you want to? Do you have anything to say about him? Honestly, man, I think it's pretty apparent um, what the big issue with Ben Simmons is. But you can go. You can go for it. See, man, when when Harden got traded, I said that I said the Seventy Sixers should have made the move. You know what I mean? Uh, he, they, he, mm-hmm. they they should have tried to get Harden, and man, but Ben Simmons. He's obviously a great defender. What has he done to improve his game on offense since he's been in the league? What has he done? Like, if anything, now he's even more passive and he doesn't attack the rim at all. He he makes – he's one of the weirdest players in the league, man. He shot the ball four times in this game. He missed 10 free throws. And 
those pile up, bro. You missed 10 free throws by yourself. And, oh, man, I I don't know, man. I, I could go on, like, a huge Ben Simmons rant, but I don't want to do it. I think we're – I think the verdict is out on him. I don't think he's he's really going to improve much, much else on offense. He's been in the league, like, four or five years now, so what can you expect from him, you know? They're, like, you can't – at some point, like, I know he's still young, but he's shown basically no improvement. If anything, he's shown regression on offense. Like what? What can you expect from to him to become? You know. Yeah, hundred percent. It's kind of a tough area because you know going back to the Giannis thing, like Giannis, he shoots too much. Simmons doesn't shoot at all. It's kind of hard to find that middle ground, and that's where it becomes really difficult. And I think it's really on the coach to kind of decide what to do. And we all know, and I know you know for sure that Doc Rivers isn't really that type of coach where he's gonna. Um, where he's going to do anything good for the players, you know what I mean? So I'll let you talk on that if you want to, but if not, um, I'll keep talking. Do you want to talk on Doc Rivers or not? Hey, man. Uh, I said, <laughs> Why are you so I, mad right now? <laughs> no, I said last year, man, I said Doc was the problem, but the, uh, the you know, the majority of opinion on, on last year's Clippers were that, obviously, Kawhi and Paul George choked in Game 7, obviously. But they were really good in Games 5 and 6. And the reason the Clippers lost that series, the biggest reason was Doc's reliance on Montrezl Harrell against Jokic. I'm not going to sound like a broken record right now, but I don't know, man. He's got, he got some stuff to figure out, man. This, the Philadelphia 76ers, I picked them to win this series in six. It would be a tightly contested series, but right now they're on the ropes. And Dwight Howard, for some odd reason, played, uh, he played, uh, how many minutes? One sec. He played eight minutes in this one. And they were a minus 14 in his minutes. He, he might be Doc's new Montrez. Didn't play Tyrese Maxey at all. Uh, yeah, they – and can you can you expect 36 points from Seth Curry a game? He hit seven of 12 threes. You, you have to get more from Tobias Harris. You're, at this point, what can you expect from Ben Simmons besides a bunch of missed free throws, you know? So I doubt anything really big comes from him, but they need to – they need to get their stuff together, man, because if they lose in the second round to a team that they should have beaten, then there's going to be some changes in Philly. Honestly, I think these are easy adjustments. I mean, play Simmons in the early game, have him defend, you know, try to build that lead, try to play be on the defense. And then when the game gets close, put in your shot creators, put in George Hill, put in Shake Milton. You know, guys like that that can actually handle the ball and shoot their free throws at the same time. You know, you don't have to have that much offensive prowess at the end of the game. You just have to be consistent. So when you put in Ben Simmons at the end of the game, obviously they're going to hack him. You know what I mean? Obviously they're going to try to send him to the free throw line. They're going to expose him. It's not that hard. I just feel like these type of adjustments are, like, pretty logical. And I don't really understand why Doc Rivers hasn't even attempted to try it. You know what I mean? Dude, Doc Rivers, that's, that's just always been his thing, man, that he doesn't he doesn't adjust. That's that's always been his problem. Uh, if you go back, I believe it was during the finals, uh, one of the Celtics-Lakers finals, there's a soundbite of Phil Jackson saying to his team, the Lakers, that the Celtics blew more fourth-quarter leads than any team in the league. And at some point, that has to come back to the coach, you know? Like, Doc is not a good um, adjustment maker in the playoffs. He sticks to his guns, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work for him, you know. And he just he just holds on to it. So they gotta they gotta make some changes and just get. I want to give I want to give Atlanta a lot of credit, man. They came back in two games that they were just looking beat up in, 
and they've really shown out. Trey Young has been really good, even at times when he's not scoring the ball, which he did in this game, but I believe it was game four where he kind of struggled shooting. But his passing ability is phenomenal. He he does everything well, man. Like, he deserves a lot of credit, and he's proven a lot of my words wrong about him. And he's, man, he's just a really great player. So I'm happy for the Hawks. Lou Williams was really good again. Uh, only Doc Rivers can make Lou Williams look good in the playoffs in 2021. Uh, that's insane to me. But, yeah, I, I just want to give Atlanta a lot of credit, man. They're a lot better than people are giving them credit for. And they're not even – they don't even have their best wing, DeAndre Hunter. So, a lot of props to them. Yeah, even even Gallo, who everyone was saying that his season is basically regression, basically where he's going to start to fall off and where he's basically trash. Even he looked good tonight, you know what I mean? He hit that nice shot at the end of the game that basically put them up and kind of iced the game. And honestly, man, a lot of props to the Hawks, as you were saying. Do you think that they're going to end it in the A next time they play? Uh, I hope so. Uh, that'd be cool. <laughs> I want, I want Doc Rivers to lose, but man, it, it'll, oh, it'll be interesting. So, yeah. All right. You know, before, um, before we end this episode, do you want to make a couple predictions? So, uh, who do you got winning between the Hawks and the Sixers? Um, hmm, man. You know what? I'm, I'm going to go Hawks. I'm going to go Hawks. For sure, man. I just think that the Sixers have too much talent to lose, so I'm going to go Sixers, um, even though I don't believe in Doc Rivers and, you know, obviously his lack of making adjustments. So I'll just go Sixers. Um, all right, this is this one's going to be a good one. The Bucks or the Nets? Nets. I don't yeah, I don't foresee same. the Nets. I don't see the Bucks making the, the necessary changes, and they, I think they're, there's going to be some changes there too in the offseason. Yep, I'm with you there. Um, all right, and the last one is the Jazz and the Clippers. Man, uh, the last thing I want is for the Clippers to go back to Utah for a game seven. Uh, Paul George in the press conference after game four said the mission is to go to Utah for game five and not have to go back. So I hope the Clippers can make it happen. Um, but I think Utah will come out with a much better game plan in game six. So that one I could see going either way. So I'm not going to give a prediction for that one. Yeah, I think that we all know Quinn Snyder is a nice coach. You know, honestly, I don't. Did he win Coach of the Year last year? No, I believe it was uh, either Monty Williams or Tim Tom Thibodeau. All right, for sure. I can't remember. I think Tom Thibodeau was this year. No. Wait, last year? Uh, I think did Budenholzer win it? I have no idea. I can't remember, but either way, he should have been in that conversation. And we all know that he's a great coach, a great mind. So I think that he's going to make the proper adjustments, which is going to make it hard for the Clippers. But um, I don't know, man. I feel like this series could go either way. I feel like if the Clippers can't finish it off in the next game, then I, I really don't see them winning again in Utah, especially without Kawhi. But, you know, we're going to have to see. So I'm just going to say for the sake of argument, you said Clippers or do you say? Oh, um, I'm not. I'm not giving a prediction on this one, man. Uh, at oh, this point, man. Man, I, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm skeptical of the Clippers, but them being down Kawhi, who has been one of the best players in the playoffs, if not the best, is such a big blow to them. And Utah's a really good team, you know? So at this point, I, I don't expect them to win. And when they do win, uh, you know, I just, I just ride the momentum and I'm pleasantly surprised. For sure. You know what? I'll just go with the Clippers because, you know, Paul George has proven everybody wrong. Um, you know, in the beginning of the series, in our Push the Tempo series, I said that he was going to be uh, the MVP, which obviously was an overstatement. Obviously, I didn't mean it. 
I just meant that he was going to have a bounce back season from last year where everybody's calling pandemic P. So I, I totally believe in Paul George. I still think he's top 10, 15 player at certain times. So I, I'm just going to go with the Clippers. Hey, man, I, I hope you're right. I hope it happens. Western All Conference right. Finals for the first time would be awesome. Yeah, if not, I just jinx your team. My bad, bro. No, nah, no, nah, you're good. <laughs> All right, so we're good for this episode. You want to call it? Yeah, I think I think we're good today. All right, guys. Appreciate you guys for listening to our podcast. Again, you guys can check us out at Push the Temple Podcast. We're in anywhere that you guys listen to your podcast. We're on YouTube as well. You know, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere. Um, if you guys want, shoot us an email or something like that. If you guys have like a question or a hot take, maybe we'll do a review on that. So leave that in the comments on YouTube. You can find our email there. So hit us up there. So with that is pretty much it, guys. And we appreciate you guys for listening. Uh, we'll catch you guys on the next episode.